I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Tim Rasmussen, and you're listening to Pop Violence. What's up, listeners, and welcome to another installment of Pop Violence. This is our ninth episode out of 12 for this first season, and so we're moving right along, getting close to the end. It's been a great ride, and this week we're going to be doing our first approach of Disney Pixar, talking about Raya and the Last Dragon. I want to make a couple things clear for everybody, just to enhance our listening experience. First, I want to say a big thank you and just tell you how excited I am to be welcoming on my guest for the week, Emily. And this is someone who's been a colleague, a classmate, and a really good friend of mine for the last few years, and someone who I really look to as a source of wisdom and intelligence. I get on a call with Emily for this podcast, and so I do want to make sure that it's clear that some of the audio does get a little bit caught up in some uh, disconnection throughout the, uh, the podcast. And so please forgive me there and bear with me. The second thing I want to say is that something that we are going to even expound on a little bit more as you listen is that Emily and I are both white and want to just make it as clear as possible that we're not trying to uh, impose our voices where the voices of Southeast Asian people would be more appropriate to talk about the cultural and um, other significant ways that this movie is impactful. We, and I don't want to give away too many spoilers, sort of take another angle to analyze and criticize a little bit about what this film means and how it influences uh, the world around us. And so please enjoy Go give me a rate, review, and a like, and thank you so much for listening again. And let me formally welcome you to the Pop Violence Podcast, Emily. Thanks. Of course. And I am so excited, and I know you've heard me say this already, but um, yeah, this this is really, really exciting for me because I... I really, I like working with you. I like doing things together with you. And so I feel like doing this podcast together, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And I'm just so um, stoked about hearing um, your perspectives on the film and everything. So should be really great. Yeah. I'm also (laughs) stoked. Thank you for having me here. Yes, of course. And um, would you be able to introduce yourself a little bit, Emily, to our pop violence listeners? And you can just share as much or as little as you're comfortable with. Sure. Um, I am a white, genderqueer, um, intense academic. I (laughs) really care a lot about healing and justice. I studied a good amount of restorative justice um hoping to maybe get a phd someday so fingers crossed i can get some of my research 
published. Um, I think yeah. I think you got that for sure. <laughs> Great. I I also I also think so, but you know, it's it's better to not be overly confident about that in public. Okay. Okay. Then <laughs> we won't be overconfident about it. Hopefully, fingers crossed. We'll stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited that uh, that you're bringing um, so much of that. Uh, I guess your background into this podcast in this space. And I do, I do want to hear a little bit more about specifically the project that you're sort of doing right now that I know that you've been doing for a long time and has sort of um, been, you've been, it's been in development for a while and that is the color wheel project. I don't know if I'm saying that incorrectly color wheel project, but I guess I'll, I'll, sure. I'll give you the floor now again to sort of, um, talk a little bit about that because I, I find it really exciting. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I also find it really exciting, which is great news because it's my research. Yes. Um, <laughs> but before I say a ton more about it, um, I just want to make a quick note on language that um, I personally am using the word queer as an umbrella term for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, mm -hmm. I also in that I recognize it doesn't work for everyone and I recognize that some people still hear that word and it carries harm for them so um, I just feel it's important to mention that and uh, mention the full context of that word and uh, just an important PSA if you're ever unsure of what language to use in a queer setting just ask we love questions I love it when people ask my pronouns um, anyways color wheel project so um, basically, I got really tired of all the LGBT 101 tools that I was looking up as a facilitator, having binaried options from man to woman and straight to gay. And that because that was just so dismissive of people um, like myself who are gender expansive. Uh, I didn't realize at the time that I started this project, <laughs> I was. Um, and so I tried to think of another way that I could ask people to visually consider their identity um, that didn't reinforce these pretty violent concepts of binaries. Um, and I decided that color itself was a, a great way to do it. We're known for our rainbows. We're known for our diversity and our celebration. Um, and so I used a little color wheel picker tool um, and have developed an exercise around that in which people consider the shape and the color of their identity and do some reflection on that. And I'm really hoping that I might be able to publish some on it and that I can share it with more people because I think it's pretty dang helpful. And I mean, it made me a lot more gay and ultimately that's uh, that's the Lord's work. <laughs> there you go. So I'm, I, I'm curious if what you were saying that, um, you know, it's helped you as somebody who is gender expansive. And I'm wondering in what ways specifically is, is this tool or this approach more helpful for someone that's gender expansive than sort of what has sort of previously been used? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it, it offers someone like me a way to use these same tools and to be included in them. Whereas mm -hmm. if somebody gives me a straight line from man to woman and says, put yourself on this line, 
I don't know where the heck I'm going to go. Like, it depends on the moment. Sometimes I'm the whole dang line. Sometimes I'm completely off of the line. Uh And, and being able to represent that in that particular format felt othering. I didn't have a way to do that. That Hmm. was mindful of me with this everyone from the gayest of gays to uh you know cis hat uh individuals everybody can find meaning in it and everybody can connect to what color means to them and what shape can mean to them and this offers a creative synthesis neurologically that we don't we don't always have good uh, good methods for in mm. um, in academia and in self reflection. So I think it's it's pretty important for me to. Uh, it was very important for me initially when I did this every day to realize that every day uh, I felt that the color and shape of my gender identity were starkly different, and mm. I think that's uh, partially why I feel so gender queer. Um, it's because this gave me access to show that feeling and that visual representation gave me access to further question who I am, which is at the core of queer theory and which is at the core of the queer experience living outside of a heteronormative world. Yeah, that's, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that that, yeah, I mean, apart from being like really fascinating, I think that it's, I think that you're on the cusp of something that just feels like it's going to be so beneficial as well as just like I don't want to say revolutionary but maybe revolutionary just like I mean I've I feel like I as as like a cis het man I as I mean as far as I understand myself right now you know as far as I have you know always been able to understand myself so far it's I think that I don't have like a full grasp on like that experience in dealing with so many of these uh, limiting binaries and limiting, um, I guess, spectrums for trying to understand our own identities and stuff. But I know that I was lucky enough to get a little bit of a taste of uh, the, the color wheel as you facilitate it recently. And like, it was it was it was really interesting to me because I, I I gave like an academic presentation that day and I wasn't even thinking about all the things I did wrong in the presentation for the rest of the day. I was thinking about like blue and I was like, what does blue mean to me? <laughs> mm-hmm. And how am I blue and 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 what is you know, I was thinking about all these different colors. And I, you know, I so I think like right off the bat it opened up a different line of thinking. And so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's exciting. It's really cool. And it's, yeah, I think it's going to be a really helpful and just, uh, excellent, uh, line of research and, um, yeah, just, a a great thing. Thank you. I appreciate the, uh, the affirmation. I'm glad, I'm glad it helped you not beat yourself up because I think you did great in your presentation. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I mean, I also, I also share that too, because I think that yeah, it's, um, you know, for everybody who's listening to, to hear a little bit about what you're doing and everything as well. Um, I, and to just sort of, uh, you know, think about some of these issues, particularly as we're going to continue to talk about um, representation and sort of, I think like a sort of a queer justice kind of lens as we take on Raya. Raya and the Last Dragon, I should say the full title. Um, so um, are we feeling, are we feeling ready to, to talk, to start talking about that? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. 
Let's do it. Okay. So we are here to talk and to sort of unpack some of the uh, dynamics and things that were presented in the film Raya and the Last Dragon, which came out in the last couple months on Disney Plus. And I don't know if it was in theaters, but it's a Disney movie. It's Pixar. And um, yeah, it's a fun movie, I guess. Um, I want to I want to acknowledge before we really get into it. Um, just I want to acknowledge the race side of us talking about it as two white people talking about a um, a film that sort of is attempting to or is a representation of um, a lot of Southeast Asian and Asian cultures. Um, so I think that that's a significant aspect that um, it's better that we acknowledge that and sort of uh, hold that as we go through the podcast. I don't yeah. know if there's anything you would feel like you need to add to that as we, before we sort of get into it. I, no, just reiterate that it's important to, um, I guess, take everything that we're saying about race with a grain of salt. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to uh, listen primarily to content creators that are of Southeast Asian identity. Um, that said, I haven't lived that experience, so I can't speak to it with wisdom. Neither can Tim. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, but we'll try to be as nuanced and thoughtful as we can in including it in this conversation because it's necessary. Definitely, definitely. So let's just start off in like the most, um, I guess the most sort of uh, basic place. Like, so what was, what, what is your, I guess, what's your like general feeling or general sort of uh, basic takeaway from this film? Um, well, my immediate uh, and current reaction is just obsession. Okay. <laughs> um, I, there, there are so many things stylistically in the choices that just really, um, really resonated with me. And, um, I, I felt like I really connected with the characters pretty well. Um, Aquafina just is now my queen. Um, should have been all along. Probably should be all of your queen as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there there were just a lot of positive things about the film initially that, that hit me really hard. Um, that said, I also was uh, squealing at the end of the movie, uh, wondering where the heck was our kiss? Um, but oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> there, there are some things that um, the longer I sit in it, just didn't didn't settle so well, um, but it's still a really important movie to, in terms of representing Southeast Asian people on a Disney screen. Um, and, and in terms of uh, the first openly trans actress um, being on a Disney cast. So um, the, the movie did some, some great things though. There are also some big shortcomings that I hope we get to talk about. Yes, yes, I think we definitely should. And and I think that for, for me, like, I, I think I had like a, a similar reaction to the film in some ways, like, I, I feel like a general, like, I generally came away from it, like, and I really enjoyed it, like, just on like the most like rudimentary film viewer level, I was like, this was really, there was some a lot of funny parts, there was a lot of exciting parts, there was some parts that felt, you know, sort of heart wrenching. And so, you know, what, what, I mean, what more could you really want in a Disney film? But then also like from like a, an analytical or like a, a, I guess a critical perspective, 
it kept me kind of, I was not sure what, how to, how to sit with it and what to think. And, and I think that I'm, I'm really uh, yeah, excited to hear your take on a lot of that. Uh, but I also want to echo, uh, of course, um, Aquafina is really awesome. Like, I don't know if you've, mm-hmm. have you seen The Farewell? I have not. Yeah, The Farewell. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, just her performance is amazing in that and just like a really, really, really excellent film. Um, I, I, this isn't about The Farewell, so I don't want to talk about it too much, but it also sort of has some really curious takes on a lot of aspects of like the nuclear family and some other things I found were really fascinating. But um, anyway, talking about Raya, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's talk a little bit about that kiss, right? Let's talk about sort of some of that, some of that that was left out. Um, Uh What what was that, I guess, what are you referring to, I guess, as you, as you say Um, that? Well, I, I will I will describe how I experienced gayness in that movie in as simple terms as I can. Okay. Um, Raya was gay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the the actress that has that uh, voiced Raya has come out saying, yeah, played her as gay. Um, huh. the whole thing was a love story, and. It didn't have the ending of a love story. Instead, we got one very bashful animation or like a sketch during the end credits of um, of Raya on a date. And that that was that was that was all we got in terms of yeah of of representing what usually would be a happy ending. It just, Mm -hmm. it didn't exist much like the ending of Korra or uh, much like Elsa in Frozen. There were insinuations and like pretty powerful ones that the characters were gay, but there weren't any proclamations of that. And insinuation is is not, it's not enough. Well, yeah, I'm curious about like I've and I I I feel like I noticed that even from my perspective when I was first starting to watch it, and I thought that and I did I remember having the thought of like that's where the film was going to go that like Raya and Namari were not only going to be sort of have it they're not only going to have this like friends turned nemesis sort of a dynamic, but I I felt like there was a romantic or sort of a, a deeper relationship there. Um, and I, yeah, I, and then it, it didn't really come to fruition. And I, this, the term that I heard you use and I've heard used is this term gay baiting. And so I was wondering if, I, I think you kind of already described it, but could you kind of like go into that a little bit, I guess? Yeah. So, I mean, in this context, gay baiting is really just insinuating an identity to kind of wet the palates of the queer community while mm-hmm. still not doing any sort of proud or open confirmation to try and make it a bit more palatable to cis hetero individuals. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you want me to say say a bit more about that? I mean, if there is any more to say, I mean, I. Uh... Oh, <laughs> is, there, is there more to say? I mean, I'm curious about. I'm curious about, like, I guess the prominence of this and sort yeah, of yeah. how it relates to like other issues of like queer mm-hmm. justice. Yeah, sure. Um, 
Well, it very deeply relates to how we are tolerated in society and what is tolerated in society. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, the way that Disney is going about its business is saying that they can have gay characters, but we have to hide them. So they're really saying that our place in society as queer individuals is to exist, maybe even be main characters, but also hide the beautiful sort of love uh, that we have just to make it easier on some people who don't want to be challenged. Our our identities, the existence of our identities and the beauty of our identities is being denied to make straight people a little more comfortable. Currently, uh, one of the only forms of represent representation we do get as a queer community is, is just straight up gay baiting. Um, mm. We sometimes get a gay best friend character. Uh, every once in a while, there will be a, uh, a white cis gay male character as the main character of a feature film, think Love, Simon. Um, mm -hmm. But that still doesn't leave room for the rest of the community. And those stories are usually often about being queer when those people are the main character. Yeah. So when we have someone who is a main character who is gay and who has been not by Disney, but by the character cons like confirmed as gay, um, mm -hmm. It's it's important to make sure that, that that's that that's honestly and openly denied because by having characters that are queer but are not allowed to openly be so, Disney's saying that's what gay people should be doing now. That we should mm. exist, that we can be the main characters, but that we have to hide ourselves to make things more palatable for people that might be challenged by our brand of love that's a bit different than some mm -hmm. other people's. Mm -hmm. Um our our identities are being the existence of our identities and like how beautiful our identities are are straight up being denied and it's really dangerous um there's a really serious lack of representation in popular media um not just in the queer community but in terms of race and in terms of age um that reinforces white supremacist cis heteronormative patriarchal like means of production mm -hmm. which are really toxic to us we think that white men are the main characters of everything so that's how we build our systems and our societies and our structures so when we have those people being at the center of everything in our media of course that's how we're going to think the world works that's how we're going to live our lives and that is supremacist and that is dangerous yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're, I mean, what comes to mind for me in, as you're saying that is, is just sort of like, I don't want to say like normative theory, but kind of like just thinking in that, in that terminology of like, how, how does our pop culture relate to like the development of our norms and what is considered quote like normal. And obviously like it's heteronormative, like that, I think that goes without saying, um, but I'm, I'm curious, you bring, you bring up like, um, you brought up like movies like Love, Simon, and maybe like, I don't know, like Call Me By Your Name or, or I, I mean, I would just, I mean, there's a few that come to mind as, as you sort of describe that. And I guess I'm curious a little bit about how, yeah, I guess I'm curious a little bit about how that or how that compares or relates to sort of what we would see in Raya. 
or how that is also how that relates to the issues of queer justice as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Disney is so far off making a movie where the central <laughs> plot is queerness. It's not yeah. even like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm not, I'm not sure that that would ever be in the works. And I'm not even sure that's what uh, that's what Disney should be doing. Um, mm -hmm. We've had a lot of coming out stories. Uh, I don't necessarily th don't necessarily think we need a ton more. Mm, um, okay. It's it's yeah, that that's just a trope. Um, but in terms of of Raya, it I one of the first things I said when it was over was like, imagine if Namari was a, a more masculine character was was a man. Uh huh. There's no way that that wouldn't have ended in them kissing or getting married or something that was just very overtly romantic in like a like really saturated kind of saccharine way even. Mm -hmm. But in Raya, because it was a gay romance, they were like, oh, let's just giggle and hide it in this single sketch. Let's let's just break up the romantic moment that should have been a kiss with a child stumbling over a rock and everybody laughing instead. That was our moment. That that was supposed to happen. <laughs> that was yeah. if, that tension was very clearly there and it was very clearly interrupted. It feels but like by Disney. Mm -hmm. Um when the uh when the the actress that that played Raya, I'm I'm sorry, I cannot remember her name right now. It's a uh, uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah, Ke Kelly Marie Tran. Um when she made those comments about the fact that she played Raya as kind of gay, um, mm -hmm. she didn't use those words. She said that there were some romantic feelings there. Okay. Um, she also said that um, she might get in trouble for that. She didn't know, which suggests mm -hmm. that Disney does have some stance on this and that's that they're supposed to keep quiet. And mm -hmm. in this case, just like so many others involving justice, silence is violence. Yeah. And this hurts people, this hurts children, this hurts kids that saw that romance happen and saw it not resolve and think that that's what they get with their love lives. And for me, I felt that too when I'm 28. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a good, uh, good way to put it. And I think, I hope that something that comes to mind for me is just how I think that sometimes I'll hear people say things like, and I think that this, it should be like, it's 2021, this should be clearly like something that is not good. And that's the idea that like, I'm okay with, with queer people doing their thing and being who they are, but I just don't want to see it. Like, I, I know that that's oh, like, God. that's like gotta be like a thing that's so in the past, but I feel like it's still like, is very common. And like, oh yeah, I think that people don't like a lot of like, like cis het, like straight people, maybe people that um don't um wouldn't typically like support the queer community or whatever think that they're like squirming at you know the sight of uh, a queer romance is is sort of like a victimless uh squirming i guess you could say but right but it's I, not yeah and it sounds like that's sort of exactly what you're describing and so yeah yeah the more they avoid showing open wholesome, beautiful, diverse queerness on screen, uh, the more the more damage they're going to be causing because they're going to cause more squirming. People aren't going to get exposed to how mm -hmm. to why and how and visions of queerness being beautiful. So they don't necessarily think it is. 
I'm yeah. related to people who feel exactly that way. And it hurts my heart that they don't have things to look at where there are gay people being Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it, and it feels like it's like a cycle, you know, with, with the, I think with the capitalism side of it is that like, you know, like they're going to continue making movies that are going to be as widely, uh, like you said, palatable as possible. Mm -hmm. Marketable. Yeah. Marketable. And I think that that also like sometimes feels uh, off to me sometimes when like, and exactly what you're saying, like the, you know, the utilization of like the, I guess, making it seem like it's going to be this uh, queer story and then not having it be there. So sort of bringing in the attention that way, but then also like not, you know, discomforting, um, you know, a large portion of the viewers in order to keep, you know, keep things uh, profitable, as profitable as possible. And then that leads to people still continually not being comfortable with it. Um, Yeah. Well, that's, I think that that's, I'm so glad that you're coming on and we're talking through this dynamic because I, uh, so often in these, uh, these podcasts, I get caught up, I get caught up myself in like talking about the, um, I guess, what can, what can we learn from the film in terms of like, how could, how could we take it and make it into like an allegory or a parable? Um, but I'm not enough. Sometimes I think about, um, the representation side of it. Um, and we, I mean, we've touched on it with most of the movies that we've talked about, but this definitely, I think we're, 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 uh, we're hashing out like a lot of the intricacies of how mm-hmm. representation matters. And yeah. I think that's so important of a conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do want to, I mean, I want to keep, I want to keep this on our minds and I'm wondering if there's anything else we want to talk about in relation to um, the queer representation in Raya before we sort of talk about a couple of the other elements that I, I feel like uh, you that we can talk about. Yeah, well, um, there is one bit of good news in this and that uh, Patty Harrison um, mm-hmm. is the first openly trans person to be cast in a Disney movie. So yeah. That's a, a little bit of LGBTQ history right there that I feel is important to mention. So shout out to Patty doing yeah. good work, being That's that amazing, being that chief chiefess of the tail land. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's not the um, you know, uh, hopefully it it's not the, you know. I guess what am I trying to say here? Um, it's awesome. It's amazing, but it's 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 also like a bummer that this we've waited until twenty twenty one to have the first. Oh yeah. You know? so Especially hope- considering Disney has uh, very openly benefited off of drag culture and aesthetics with Ursula and the Little Mermaid. So mm, uh, just yeah. to start things out. I think I think that we could transition over into talking about some of these other elements of the film if you feel comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, I'm excited to hear a little bit about um, what you have to say because, and I'll, I'll, I want to, I'm gonna talk a little bit through. I, I have like a bit of like a scrambled, I feel like relationship with this film in terms of like what kind of meaning I take from it, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like what's like the moral of the story, kind of because yeah, yeah, it's very much like like Sisu Aquafina's dragon character is is so much in the film like 
talking about trust and like you should trust people and see the good and goodness in people and raya is sort of the, the the opposite and they're sort of like playing out two sides of this uh the, this approach to the world uh, based sort of i i kind of felt like i'm like trust slash distrust or it, it probably there's probably a couple other ways that we, we can understand that um and then it's sort of the way it all comes together at the end um yeah, I, I, it feels like there's like some interesting elements and you like you've named in, in relation to healing um, and some other aspects. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've spent a lot of time in my academic work and my personal time uh, studying up on trauma and healing and resilience a lot. Um, just uh I was a survivor of childhood sexual violence um, and I grew up in a church environment where the words trust and forgiveness were just bantied around like they were the only solution. Um, and they, they were synonymous with just shutting up about abuse, um, mm -hmm. which is never the right move. Um, yes. And I think like I, I, this understanding of trust being like this beautiful, pure form of, you know, whatever, just <laughs> perfect, lovely energy Cece was. Um, mm -hmm. I actually think it's, it's pretty dangerous to yeah. kids who are in survival situations right now and have to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. um, trust is a really cool thing when it's earned, but it's not something that's always safe to give. And we see Cece learn that lesson over mm -hmm. and over. I mean, especially when big old spoiler alert sisu dies mm -hmm. um and that's like the kind of bluntest form of a lesson that you can learn in a movie yeah. right is that this thing leads to death but it somehow is like resolved in this clunky and end, ending of like everyone is 100 percent okay and happy now i think in a more like nuanced read it's about showing like a willingness to trust and to take to take the first step but that's that just full resolved that one single step led to full healing in this movie and i know it's a disney movie for sure um mm -hmm. but after offering us such like a starkly clear vision of what our american future is going to be as a nation that's full of division Mm -hmm. And then, like, fixing the world with magic and rainbow dragons, I don't think it's particularly helpful or ethical. Like, if mm. you're going to get that deep into our political commentary and then solve it with, well, just trust people with your lives mm -hmm. when they haven't earned it. I mm, I just, I can't jive with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And that's something that, that's something that uh, resonated with me as well in in relation to like thinking about like our own political like landscape that we're looking at because mm -hmm. i also often see like people will post things or say things like you know if we all just you know listen to each other or if we all just on like an individual level like we all just like stopped having these preconceived notions about each other um and realize that we're more similar than different and like i get like the there is like a lot of helpfulness to a lot of the underlying sent sentiment there mm -hmm. but like yeah exactly what you're saying like with like with sisu and like having that trust like trust is like social trust is a really good thing 
Um, and a lot of people would say that it's like paramount to developing like a society that is, you know, stable and like, you know, uh, I guess successful, um, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. But like, it, it's like, but why like but like that's also like we shouldn't be putting people in danger and putting like we shouldn't be pressured into putting ourselves into harm's way right yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. i uh, trust shouldn't come first the work should mm -hmm. come first you know yeah, yeah i'm not yeah, gonna yeah. trust somebody until i feel safe with them and i think that's okay yeah absolutely absolutely that makes a lot of sense and so i'm wondering like what as you're talking about like healing like and, and it feels like that was something that was sort of just like, there was like several steps that were just sort of like crammed or like completely skipped at the end. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering like, what, I guess, was there anything else, I guess, in terms of like healing that you felt like was needed or that needs to be said in regards to how the film ended? Uh, well, I, I do feel like it's really important to talk about how death was handled. Um, mm. Disney has been notoriously bad about this, but this iteration was pretty harmful to people who've recently lost parents mm. um, and especially children. Um, this is like, this is an example where Disney tried to get around the problem of having an orphan trope, which is screwed up to begin with by like only making them orphans for a little while it's mm -hmm. it is not a trauma informed move or even okay to show a story arc that finishes with a magically resurrected parent like mm. it doesn't show the beauty and reality of true tough healing like real healing like realistic healing would be depicted with years and lifetimes of work and tears and failure and mistakes Mm -hmm. and I, I I think some of that struggles represented here yeah for sure but offering resolution in like a sort of ending that those of us not living in Kumandra can't attain I don't I don't love when movies do that I think mm -hmm. it's actually pretty unhealthy for us as humans to continually see magically perfect resolutions when that that doesn't happen in our lives mm-hmm and especially when those resolutions are restorations, um, I think that word is is pretty pretty overutilized, and we we put too much thought, <laughs> too much expectation in that. I think, mm -hmm. um, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna Lord of the Rings for just a second. Oh, I no. think this is what this is the worst thing that Peter yes. Jackson got wrong in Lord of the Rings. Okay. We needed the scouring of the Shire to prepare us for this world in which our Shires will be continually burned and uprooted. Oh, like we needed gosh, that. We yes. needed to learn that lesson. Uh -huh. And in the books, the creation of a new life together that was very different, not ideal, but still beautiful, was the yeah. right ending for that story. Yeah. And, you know, good old Pete just went and did his white guy thing and changed it for everyone. But yeah, we need more endings that where the, the dead parents don't come back from the dead because that really hurt people. And that was not mm. not a slick move, Disney. Yeah, there's so many thoughts coming to my mind. That's actually something that um, the most recent time I watched Lord of the Rings, which I watched Lord of the Rings, the extended versions, all three at least once a year, usually twice a year. 
And so just to keep me just to, it's, it's almost like a, it almost is like a, like a worship thing. It's like, you know, people make sure they're there on Christmas and Easter. I make sure that I get my two rounds through Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, but this most recent time that we were talking about Lord of the Rings or that I was uh, watching Lord of the Rings, I really um, have always sort of seen that uh, the, the, the scourging of the Shire being left out as something that was sort of just like a time thing. It was like, oh, well, there's no way they could have had time to fit that in. And I can see why they did it. But this last time watching, I was like, you know what? Like, I can see how the 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 meaningful arc of the films would have been completed through having that uh, included, Um, especially the way that the hobbits are set up and sort of the way that the Shire and Hobbiton and all that and Frodo's particular role as the ring bearer is all sort of constructed from the start and then to have their home eventually touched by, um, by the, you know, the war or the, um, the conflict I think is really, was really important. And to think that like the Shire just stayed there and it was fine. Um, it doesn't really feel as, as a salient, I guess you could say. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like, Lord of the Rings offers this really interesting version where we get two versions of this ending, right? Where we get mm-hmm. one in the movies, that's Hollywood. That's what we got with Raya, where everything goes back to normal. Sam goes and gets the girl. Raya yeah. has a single date with the girl. Uh, and, yeah. Um, but those of us that read the books have this like kind of really sacred, intense connection to that ending that was written that was hard. It sucked. Mm-hmm. I, I was mad at it. I cried. And mm-hmm. it was the right one. I know that. Like, it felt correct. And it pissed me off because I wanted mm-hmm. everything to be fine. But I was so much more glad that it wasn't. And I think we need to start giving children more recognition in the fact that they can handle a lot. They're, we shouldn't put trauma on kids for no reason. We shouldn't mm-hmm. force them to live through things that are really going to deeply stress them out, but we, they, kids absolutely can understand what death is and they should. And by not exposing children to hard truths and the reality that sometimes things don't go back to the way they were before. Mm -hmm. I I think, I think Disney has to make that move. If we want to make media more about educating our culture and less about making us feel good and spending money, but you know, capitalism. Yeah, that's not Disney's priority, but I think think (laughs) you like, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And um, one of the things that comes to mind, and I don't know if this is something that we have time for or energy for to completely unpack, but it just, it feels very much, you know, I I think that the the Christian um, undertones to so much of what is acceptable in our society I feel like is sort of glaring at me as throughout this entire conversation, whether mm. it's the, you know, all of our yeah. discussion on queer justice, but also sort of this ending and um, what some would call like the toxic positivity of like the afterlife and the associated promises and toxic positive positivity sort of overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something that's, that's bubbling up for me as we're talking about this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely same. Um, and I that was that was why I really appreciated that as a foil to that. Namari as a character had a very interesting and rich arc, but mm-hmm. Sisu didn't have an arc. 
Sisu mm -hmm. started as po as toxic positivity as toxic positivity <laughs> and ended as toxic positivity and uh -huh. everything just worked out anyways and that mm -hmm. is i don't think the right sort of lesson that we need to be sending yeah yeah no um i think i think that that's really yeah i think that that's really great and i hope that um I think that there is some media out there occasionally that is able to do that or does that. I think that, but it's more in like the indie and like, you know, different spaces, certainly than like a, a, a massive uh, production uh, studio, like a Disney Pixar, you know? And I guess that I think that this conversation is important in the fact that um, hopefully advancing some of these critical perspectives onto the portrayal of these certain dynamics and how, those things perpetuate, you know, normative ways of thinking about our own lives and our mm -hmm. own society that are not healthy and they're yeah. oftentimes overtly harmful. Yeah. Um, could I actually, could I take just a couple moments to dive into possibly the worst direct harm that this movie is doing? Yes, please, please do. Great, cool. So start out with y'all, I'm so white. Um, I'm <laughs> summarizing what I'm about to say based on what I've seen from Southeast Asian uh, content creators. So yeah, and 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 let me, I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you yeah, off, but like no, let's um let's put some of those creators, uh, let's credit them in the show notes uh, for yes. this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will share a few of those with you afterwards. Okay, um awesome. so broadly, uh like we love that there's a Southeast Asian specific main heroine moment. Um, and next time we should probably make these things culture specific rather than just doing an avatar style pan Asian explosion. Mm -hmm. um, the aesthetic is really dope and Southeast Asian folks really seem to appreciate finding familiar things to them, like some of the clothing styles and some of the food that they really love. Um, mm. But beyond just, the cultural harm that this uh, that this can do by just mushing all of Southeast Asia into a single country um, is really that Disney didn't have enough uh, or many at all people of color in their leadership and cast and production. Hmm. They are benefiting monetarily from a whitewashed representation of Southeast Asian cultures while not giving back monetarily to those in the cultures being used. And that's unjust, that's fucked up, that's exploitation, mm -hmm. yeah. it's unethical. And Southeast Asian folks should have had control of the whole project from start to finish. So like, in summary, glad this movie exists because it's done good things in terms of representation. And economically, it's messed up. Capitalism sucks. <laughs> yes, I think that that's like the standing ovation line that we could that we could walk off this podcast with. But um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I and and the way you put it, and thank you to those voices from Southeast Asian people that have sort of mm -hmm. contributed to us being able to um, understand that aspect of the film to a greater degree. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, that's that's so important, and I'm glad that we've also sort of um, hopefully those listening to this podcast will. Uh, find a little bit of discomfort but be able to embrace 
that we've sort of disrupted a bit of a dualistic approach to a film, right? That we've talked, we've, I mean, this can be a good film and a film that has a lot of positive things and, uh, you know, makes us feel a lot of positive things and also can have a lot of problematic and damaging elements to it, right? It's mm -hmm. like sort of embracing yeah. it as not just either or, but both and, I think is also something important that I'll throw out there. <laughs> Absolutely, that's a, it's a very queer way to approach things, continuously question things and make room for diverse opinions and experiences. Yes, absolutely. Well, I feel like that's, I feel like that's actually a really good place to sort of uh, leave this off. I was wondering, is there anything sort of summarily that, I mean, you, you did say in summary before your last statement, but I guess, I guess <laughs> meta-summarily meta yeah. that you would like to say about all the issues we've been talking about, everything we've talked about today uh, or the film or whatever, anything that you feel like you don't want to be left out. Um, and if I, not, I won't add anything. <laughs> well, just just want to want to mention that um, I and Tim are both existing on stolen indigenous land uh, and are reaping the benefits of that stealing, uh, just like our more recent ancestors. So uh, get involved in your local land justice movements and your global land justice movements. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And, and those types of plugs are more and like those types of uh, sentiments are more than welcome here at the end. And I'm in southern Nevada. Um, and you are in, uh, I guess, I'm assuming you're in central Virginia. I'm <laughs> yep, yeah. yep, yep. Okay, well, thank you so much, Emily. It yeah. has truly been an honor. Absolutely. I enjoy uh, talking to you because you have cool things to say and um, I'm a little smarter than you. So it makes me feel good about myself. Yes, you are. And it, and <laughs> it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 